Well, good morning, Living Hope Columbus family, Living Hope Columbus extended family. So glad you could tune in with us this morning. Psalm chapter 31 says this, How great is your goodness that you have stored up for those who fear you and accomplished in the sight of everyone, for those who take refuge in you. You hide them in the protection of your presence. You conceal them in a shelter from human schemes and from quarrelsome tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his faithful love to me in a city under siege. And what has proven to be another uncertain week for many of us, many of you have been met with new obstacles in your life and in your family. And before we gather really to worship together today, I want to remind you of this very simple truth. God is good. In uncertainty, our God is good. In trials, our God is good. In chaos, our God is good. In storms, our God is good. In fear, our God is good. In all things, Jesus is good. And friends, this past week, God has used these circumstances around us, I believe, to do a refining work in His church. And God has now used His church to mobilize the gospel to reach more people, I believe, than we ever have before. It's the simple reminder that Jesus is good. And my prayer today is simply this, that this service is a blessing to you in the midst of whatever trial or uncertainty that your family is dealing with. That for this brief moment that we gather on the other side of a screen, that you know in this moment you are united with the body of Christ all over the place. Friends, we're in this together for the glory of Jesus among the nations. Let me pray for us today before we worship. Father, thank you again for the privilege we have to gather as your people. Father, as my friend says, Lord, we are still gathered, although we are scattered right now. And Jesus, we pray now through the singing of your praises, God, through the proclamation of your word, that the gospel goes forth. Lord, that the gospel serves as an encouragement to those who have already put their faith in Jesus, and that the gospel serves as an eternity-altering agent for those who do not know Jesus yet this morning. Father, go before us, teach us, draw us close to Jesus. And we pray that you tune your ear from heaven to hear us today. We love you, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, wherever you are today on the other side of this video, whether you're tuning in now live, whether you're watching online later, or maybe you've even tuned in to our podcast, we are so glad that you are with us today. I want to remind us of the same truth that I reminded us of last week, and it's this, that the gospel is resilient, the word of God cannot be stopped, and we have seen time and time again recently that the church is alive and the church is well in these trying times. My name is Aaron. If we've never met before, I serve here as the teaching pastor at Living Hope Church Columbus. And again, so glad you've worshiped, chosen to worship with us today. If you have your uh, Bible with you, I encourage you to open that up to 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we'll be today. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Grab a notebook, a napkin, and a pen. Make sure you take notes today. If you are a note taker, take them on your phone. Whatever that looks like for you. And I hope we're encouraged by the word of God today. I hope uh, now as we read God's word, wherever you're at, whether you're living 
living room, your kitchen table, wherever that is, if you will stand with me in honor of reading God's word at Living Hope, we say over and over every week that we are for the gospel, which means we elevate and celebrate what Jesus did on the cross for us, but also we treasure the word of God. And so we want to respect that when we read it this first time. First, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 15 through verse 17, God's word says this, and you have known that from infancy, You have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Jesus, go before us. Father, give us the ears we need to hear your word today, wherever we find ourselves. Father, give us the hearts to receive your word and the hands and feet, God, to live this out no matter where we find ourselves this week as we are chasing after Jesus. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, when I got saved in 2003 at the age of 15 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, I prayed with a lady whose name was Tabitha, and she led me to faith in Jesus, July 3rd, 2003. And as soon as her and I were done praying and I had given my life to Jesus Christ, she had put a book in my hands that I'd interacted with many times, I'd seen many times, but this time was drastically different. You see, in that moment, she put a copy of the New Testament into my hands. And because of my relationship with Jesus, this new relationship with Christ, my life changed radically when it came to the Word of God. You see, I'd grown up in church. Ever since I was a young child, my family, in some capacity, we had always been around the church and been involved in the church. But the day that I met Jesus, my relationship with the Word of God changed dramatically. You see, now 17 years later, I can't get enough of this book. I can't get enough of this book that was put in my hands all those years ago because I love it and I believe that it is a gift from God. If you were here with me now, you could open up my Bible and flip through it, and you'd see I write all over this book. I highlight things all the time, things that the Lord is teaching me, that He's showing me, that He's correcting in me, that He's rebuking me for. I want to remember those times where I've met God in this book because I believe with all my heart that this book is powerful and that this book serves as the communication tool by which Jesus continues to change my life and your life. Today, I want to talk about a simple topic. If you've been in my ministry for any length of time, you've probably heard about this uh, topic. I've talked about it many times before because it's that important. But it's this idea that God wrote a book. Just pause and like just soak on that for just a second. That the creator of the universe wrote a book to communicate with his people. One of my favorite pastors and authors is a gentleman by the name of Tony Morita. He pastors in North Carolina. And years ago, I heard him make this statement, and it's always stuck with me. He said this, if you believe God really wrote a book, wouldn't you really want to read it? You know, in our country and here in America, only 56% of Americans actually believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. That means one out of every two people that you'll encounter on a normal weekly basis believe that the Bible is actually written by God himself. Well, listen to me for just a moment. The creator of the universe, Genesis 1-1, says that God literally spoke and things existed. By his breath, things came to be. That God, he wrote a book for us. 
Colossians chapter 1 says that God is holding the entire universe together in the palm of his hand as we speak in this moment. That God wrote a book. Revelation chapter 21 says that God has ruled throughout eternity past. He's currently ruling now, and he will sit in victory forever on his throne, forever and ever and ever. That God wrote a book. And you and I have the privilege, the opportunity, and the freedom to read that book. And today, using these few simple verses in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to talk to you this morning about the treasure that we find in the Word of God. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter of 2 Timothy to a young pastor named Timothy. Timothy was likely at this time in his mid to late 30s, a fairly young guy. He'd found himself in a rather difficult situation at the church where he served, really fighting an uphill battle over and over as he's serving this church. Paul, as he writes this letter, is in a prison cell, chained likely to a guard near the end of his life being treated as a criminal. We read also in Paul's letters here that Paul had been deserted by most of his friends. And he was now alone. The only person still with him was Luke. And as he writes this letter to Timothy to encourage this young pastor, he acknowledges the fact that in Timothy's uh, place of service, where Timothy was, that things were very uncertain. Things were very difficult. But Paul reminds him to remember the sacred scriptures. Remember the sacred scriptures and keep going. And the entire book here of 2 Timothy really culminates in these two verses found in 16 and 17 where we read that all scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable. Why? Verse 17, so that we may be complete and equipped for every good work in which God calls us to. And so I'm going to break down these verses for us this morning. Let's just ask the Lord to teach us and to show us what he wants us to know today as we pursue Jesus. Notice how Paul starts verse 16. He starts with the words, all scripture. What does that even mean? My pastor growing up used to always make the statement that when you come across the word all in the Bible, that all means all, and that's all that all means. That's a pretty simple way to remember it, but I don't want us to miss the beauty that's found in these two simple words here in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. Verse 15, Paul calls these the the sacred scriptures. What's he referring to in this passage? Up to this point, they would have only had the Old Testament, the back half of your Bible. Some of the New Testament books would have been completed. But how do we know 2,000 years after this was written that Paul actually meant the entirety of this book is the inspired word of God? How do we know Paul really meant all when he said all scripture? Let me show you a few verses I think are key. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. Jesus is speaking, and here's what he says. Don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but here's our key words, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter is going to pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Jesus' ministry, what Jesus taught, was simply a fulfillment of what the Old Testament writers and prophets were saying and teaching throughout the Old Testament. Jesus' words and Jesus' life contained in the Gospels are part of the entirety of Scripture. They complement what had already been done and said. John chapter 16, here Jesus again speaking says these words. He says, I have many things to tell you, still have many things, but you can't bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, what's He going to do? He's going to guide you into all truth. 
For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. And here it is. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. When Jesus then exited this earth, Acts chapter 1, ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came, Jesus reminds us that the Holy Spirit would reveal more truth to God's people. So we're moving now from the Old Testament. We saw Jesus confirm the Gospels. The Holy Spirit reveals then the New Testament letters. Let me give us a few more I think are key. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says he is writing directly from the Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Paul said that his message was a direct word from God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Paul refers, I'm sorry, Peter refers to the letters of Paul as what? As Scripture. Now here's where it gets wild. In the New Testament alone, 27 books in the New Testament, there are 300 direct quotations of the Old Testament. You see the the, the complementary nature of the Bible? And there's also 1,000 indirect quotations of the Old Testament. Friends, from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, we see this interconnected, interwoven, intertwined, one giant story of the magnificence of our God. Listen, when Paul said all Scripture, guess what he meant? He meant the whole thing. And that's how we know that's what he meant. But here's here's the struggle. Sometimes we can get a little bit skeptical of these things. And when Paul penned these words, here's the reality. There were some books that we find in our New Testament that were not written yet. Let me give you them. 2 Peter, Jude, Hebrews, and Revelation. Four of them that were not rent that were not written when Paul wrote 2 Timothy. So how do we reconcile those? How do we know that Paul was referring to these writings that weren't even complete yet? Well, think about this for a second. 2 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter, somebody who walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, and 1 Peter was already considered Scripture at this point when Paul wrote this letter. Jude, think about this. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. I'm no expert. That, that probably gives you a little bit of credibility when it comes to sacred writings. Revelation, the other book there, was written by the Apostle John. John had written several other books up to this point that, guess what? They were considered Scripture already by the church. Hebrews, we're not sure who the author was, but the majority of people would say that Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul. And I don't know about you, I ain't going to argue that one. Listen. When Paul said all scriptures inspired, you know what he meant? All. Let's go to our second point, inspired. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 with me again. Here we go. All scripture is what? It's inspired by God. I love that word inspiration, but what's interesting about it is in our culture, I think we misuse it often. I think we use it carelessly. If you were to go to Barnes & Noble right now and you were to go to some book section and find a book and you flipped that book over, and you read that back cover and you'll see all of these endorsements from different authors, you know what you're going to find? Many of them are going to say, oh, this author was so inspired. This was such an inspired writing. This was such an inspired work. No. Nah. You see, that word inspiration carries so much weight here in the Bible. Don't miss this. You see, it's a Greek word made from from two Greek words. The first word is the word theos. It's where we get uh, our word theology, the study of God. Theos means God. The second word that we cram together here is theos, and the other one is, is pneuma. It means spirit or wind or breath. 
And so what happens here where we get this word inspiration, only time it's used in the entire New Testament is here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, is we take the word theos and we take the word pneuma and we crash them together into one word that we translate inspiration. And here's what it means. The word theonuma, theopneustos is the technical word, literally means God's breath or God breathed. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 3.16. Read that again with a different translation. All Scripture is inspired. Let's say it this way. All Scripture, watch this, is God-breathed. That changes the meaning of that verse. That means that every word that I read on the pages of this, this sacred book were breathed out by God. Let's look at a verse here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Watch this. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, look at this, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, Peter confirms in 2 Peter 1 that Scripture is breathed out by God, written by men. If you're kind of a theology geek, that's called verbal plenary inspiration. If you're not, just pretend I never said those words. Don't worry about it. It simply means that because God breathed this book, it's the authority upon my life. That God had complete control of every word that was written down, but he chose to use human vessels to communicate it. Let me give us an illustration to drive this home that will help us understand this a little bit better. Years ago, my second trip to Africa, we were driving down this old dirt road in the middle of Uganda, really in the middle of nowhere. And on the side of the road, I saw this little, small, wooden sign about the size of a pizza box that simply said the word, rhinos. And it had an arrow pointing to the left. Now, pro tip, if you're ever in the middle of Uganda, middle of nowhere, halfway around the world, it's always a good like, habit to follow those kind of signs. Because if a little wooden sign in the middle of nowhere says rhinos with an arrow, follow it every single time. So we drove down this little dirt road for a few miles out into the bush of Africa and actually ended up on a rhino preserve. And we got out of our cars and uh, met some of the operators of this pre preserve and kind of heard their stories. And they said, hey, you want to go out into this preserve? So we piled into these trucks of these complete strangers that we knew for about five minutes. Again, safe thing to do if you're halfway across the world is get in strangers' cars and drive into the middle of nowhere of Africa. But as we're driving several miles back into the bush of Africa, I began to notice something. None of our guides had guns, not one of them. And so I leaned over to the guy that was driving our truck and I asked him a simple question. I said, hey man, I don't mean to question your authority or what you're doing in any capacity, but um, I noticed something. We're going into a rhino preserve where there's no cages, gates, or anything, and you do not have a gun. That concerns me. And he looks at me and I said, so what do we, what do, we do if one of the rhino ch like charges at us? And very nonchalantly, he looked at me and he goes, well, you just climb a tree. Oh, okay, yeah, that's simple enough. So we get out of our car, we begin to walk now, so our, our vehicles are left here in the bush, and they say, we've got to walk another mile or two out into this rhino preserve. Folks, this isn't the zoo. There's no cages, there's no bars, there's no way out. I mean, like, this is the Colosseum kind of a thing, and things are getting pretty wild out here in Africa. And I'll, at this point, I'm scoping it out, man. I'm trying to figure out, all right, who's the slowest person of our group of 10 people, because if I can outrun them, the rhino will get them, and I'll be safe kind of a, a situation. So we end up rounding this corner around this bush, and all of a sudden, one of our guide gets down in the bush. He starts making some bird noises to communicate with some of these other gentlemen that were already out there. And we round this corner, and about 15 feet away from us, 20 feet away from us, were three rhinos. It's one of the most magnificent things I've ever seen. But here's a question I want you to think about. In the middle of nowhere, 
on a rhino preserve with no gates, no fences, and no guns. Who was in control of that situation? You see, for me, I was trying to gather all the information I could because that gave me a, a feeling of control, but the reality was I was not in control at all of that situation. Was the guide in control of the situation? I think he thought he was. He felt like he was because they had communication tactics and he was carrying a radio with him. I guess maybe he thought he'd throw that at the rhino. I'm not really sure. But he absolutely thought he was in complete control. Who was in control of that situation out there in the bush in the middle of Africa in a rhino preserve? The rhino. 100% of the time, at all moments, those rhinos were in complete control because at any moment, those rhinos could have decided, you know what, I'm having a bad day. I'm going to charge the pack of humans. They could have changed what they wanted to do. The guides, guess what they did? Their jobs. Guess what we did? We were along for the journey. But at the end of the day, the rhinos were in complete control, even if myself and the guides felt like we were. That's inspiration. That's inspiration. It's God using human vessels, but at the entire time, God is in complete control directing the entire thing. And friends, when we begin to understand that, that this book is authored by the creator of the universe, it becomes the most powerful and most needed thing in my life. In our culture, in our culture right now, when we're walking through such uncertain times, we don't know what's happening tomorrow. We need a word from God. Too often we run to other things when this needs to be the first place I run to. We need to run to this book personally and then point people to this book. They don't need somebody's opinion. They don't need a Facebook post or a blog post or a news article. They need Jesus, and he's found in the word of God. I've joked often before that I do not know much about cars. Several years ago, I tried to change my oil on my car and it ended up costing me $130. You think I'm kidding? This is an absolutely true story. I, you can actually go to the Jiffy Lube and get an oil change for 20 bucks. It cost me 130. Pray for me. A few, few months ago, I was driving my car down the road and I had this horrible squeaking sound coming from the front of my car. Something was wrong and it needed fixed in my car. And in that moment, I really had two options. Option one was I could turn the radio up and really not acknowledge the problem and just cover it up. It's like when you put tape over your check engine light so you don't see it anymore. Or option two was I could acknowledge that there was a problem and actually go and fix my car. I could adjust my life to what was true. Listen, often in our culture and where we're seated right now as a country, people are not going to run to the word of God first. They think it's just a book written by a bunch of dead guys that is irrelevant to their life. People don't believe that this is the inspired word of God. But hear me, even if I don't acknowledge that it's true, it still is. This book, whether we believe it or not, is the inspired word of God. And it is profitable for us. And we need it. And people need it. Friends, point yourself to this book and point other people to this book as well. That's what we need in our culture in this time is the truth from this word. Here's Paul's next word I think is significant. How does he keep encouraging Timothy? He tells Timothy that the scripture is what? Inspired and what? Profitable. I love that word because it means the word of God is sufficient for me and it's complete. Because of this book is breathed out by the creator, it has everything in it that I need to live a life of godliness. It has everything that I need to live for the glory of God on this earth. And here's how it's profitable. Paul tells Timothy, it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Warren Wearsby used to put it this way. 
that it shows you what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. I love that. Let's walk through these four things real fast. It's profitable for teaching. What does that mean? It means in the pages of this book is everything you and I need to know about who Jesus is and how to live for him. That's where we find Christian doctrine and Christian theology. Timothy, surrounded by a culture that is falling apart, a church infiltrated by false teaching. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, get your nose back in the book. That's a word for the church today, isn't it? When the world is spiraling, get back in the book. Why? Because the book is the supreme and final source of truth in our life, and it tells me everything I need to know. Friends, the Bible speaks of the fall of man, the person of Jesus, redemption found only in Jesus, justification by Jesus, pardoned by the blood of Jesus, eternal life found only in Jesus. Everything I need to know about Jesus is in this book. But it's also very practical for you and I. How should I relate to my spouse? How do I raise my kids? How can I be a good employee? How do I manage my money? How do I control fear in my life? How do I control my emotions and how do I overcome temptation? You name it, the Bible talks about it. One of my least favorite stores on the planet, and I know this is a public video, that's okay, is Ikea. I can't stand it. I hate Ikea. And the reason that I don't like it is because you buy something from Ikea and here's what happens. You come home with a box, you open it, and everything falls out. Nothing is assembled when you buy it from Ikea. Years ago, I bought a TV stand from Ikea, opened the box, I'm not even kidding, 300 pieces of wood fell out and probably 200 screws all over my living room floor. And here's the kicker. It came with an instruction manual that I think was written in Swedish. I'm not positive. It was impossible. But as a guy, what do we do? We open the box, we lay all the pieces out, we look at the instructions and throw them away. We say, I got this. I'm going to put this TV stand together. Two hours later, we realize we've screwed up. We ask our wife where, where the directions are, and we begin to follow him. Why are the directions so vital? Hear me. Because there was somebody who created that TV stand, knows exactly how every piece is supposed to fit together. He understands where the screws need to go and what pieces of wood are created to be interconnected. He understands what tools you need to make this TV stand work properly. And because of that, you trust his instructions. Do you see it? The Bible's no different. There's a God in heaven who created you. He knows how you're meant to function. He knows how you're supposed to live. He knows what is going to bless you most in this life. He created you. And he gives you an instruction manual for life that we're meant to follow. The second part says, he says it's profitable for rebuking. You see, as we read the scriptures, they point out sin and confront disobedience in my life. Notice the key word I just said. It points out sin in my life. One of my favorite stories is told uh, by James Boyce from Dallas Seminary of a, a little boy his, who just loved his mama's jam. And his mom had made this fresh jam one Saturday afternoon and had put a jar of it up on the top shelf. And she told her son, she said, don't touch the jam. I'm going to leave for about 10 or 15 minutes. You can have some when I get home. So as his mom left, man, she, he immediately went, grabbed a chair, pushed it up to the countertop, reached his little hand as high as he could get it into that jam jar and pulled that thing down and began to eat the jam. Well, about 10 minutes later, his mom came back home. He's standing there in the kitchen trying to look as innocent as can be. And his mom said, Johnny, did you eat the jam? I told you not to eat. Well, his head dropped a little bit and he said, no, ma'am. She asked him again, Johnny, did you eat the jam? Head dropped a little bit. No, ma'am. Third time, did you eat it? No, ma'am. His head dropped again. She said, Johnny, here's the last time. I'm going to let you fess up. Did you eat the jam? I told you not to eat. 
Well, Johnny's head then dropped, his, tin, his chin hit his chest, and he saw a giant jam stain right in the middle of his shirt. You see, friends, that's how the Word of God works in our life when we think of rebuking. How often do we read the Word and we think, man, my spouse could really use this. Or we read it and we think, you know what? If my kids would just get this part of the Bible right, man, things would be good. Or we read another section and we think, man, if those that I work with would just get this right in Scripture, things would be so much better. But when you read the Word, it's meant to confront you first of your sin. It's meant to confront you of your disobedience. It's meant to cause you look at the stain of sin that is on your life and you say, help me, Jesus. Lord, fix me. Lord, change me. Lord, renew me. You see, so often we want God to work around us, but I'm reminded today that before God will work around me, he's got to do something in me first. Here's the third thing. It's, it's profitable for correcting. It shows me how to get right. The Word of God shows me where I've strayed from truth, where I need to repent and turn back to Jesus. It restores me to proper living, shows me how to, to get right with the Lord. If you're a parent, this is the part that most of us can sympathize with and understand here. Because how often do we have to correct our kids? Three things I say most often at my house. Don't say that. Don't eat that. Because of this virus, don't lick that. Right? That's life right now. Listen, kids are weird, but we have to correct them. Why? Because we want them to be the best they can be. Why does God correct us with Scripture? Because He wants us to be like Jesus. And He's going to mold us and correct us so we're more like Christ and less like this world. The last thing Paul says it's profitable for is training in righteousness. That's this idea of constant correction. You know correction is not a one-time event, but a continual thing. That as you walk with Jesus, He's going to continually correct you. Just like your children, it probably takes more than one time of correcting your kids before they get it right. I almost guarantee you've had to discipline your kids more than one time this week. And if you say you haven't, I do not believe you. It's not even 11, I don't think. And I've disciplined my kids at least 14 times today. We get this. But training is an over and over correction process with the ultimate goal of reaching the end goal. Becoming more like Jesus. Tony Marita said these words. If you believe God really wrote a book, wouldn't you really want to read it? On these pages, friends, the, the Creator confronts and He pursues His creation. Do you spend time in this book? Do you treasure this book? And understand this too, if you're on the other side of this video or podcast or audio, hear me. The inspiration of this book will mean nothing to you until you know the author. Once you know the author of this book, everything changes because everything that's taught in here, everything that's prophesied in this book, every story and every passage ultimately points back to the author of this book. And this book reminds us that we have a sin problem that can only be resolved by the author. That when I put my faith in Jesus, this goes from just an old book to a book that I desperately need. It becomes those sacred writings Paul mentions in 2 Timothy 3. When you know Jesus, this goes from just another book to the only book I need. And friends, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, let me remind you of Romans 10. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? Put your faith in him. 
and begin living for him. If not, today's the best day to do that. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you again for your word. God, for the privilege that we have, whether we're in a living room, Father, whether we're sitting over a cup of coffee, wherever we are now, Lord, on the other side of these screens and these audios, God, for the privilege we have to gather as your church, your people, around your word to lift up the name of Jesus. Father, I pray now that this week, in the midst of uncertainty, trials, so many things spiraling around us, God, trying to figure out today in the midst of trying to wonder what tomorrow holds, that, Father, we wouldn't run to other things, God, but we would put our noses back in your book. We'd run to the scriptures first. As the ultimate and supreme authority, the ultimate and supreme source of truth, Lord, that's where we encounter Jesus, and that's what we need during these times is Jesus. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for your church. Thanks for what you're doing globally in the midst of this. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, church family, as we close today, I just want to encourage you towards a a few things. First off, if you have children at home, take advantage of the resources on our website, livinghopecolumbus.com. Click Kids Ministry. There's teaching videos there for them, some activity sheets, and also some worship songs that they're familiar with that we do here regularly at Living Hope Columbus. Second thing, every Wednesday night at 6.30, I encourage you to tune into our YouTube or Facebook page for a thing that we call Midweek with Church Planters. It's about a 30-minute Bible study and conversation with myself, Pastor Rick Young from Watermark Church in Worthington, and Pastor Jason Williams from Church in the Wild in Westerville. Uh, just a midweek encouragement for you, just to, again, keep, keep our attention on Jesus. Every Thursday night on Facebook and YouTube at 8.45, we have an online prayer gathering. Encourage you, if time permits and schedule permits, tune into that. Uh, earlier, early this week, we're going to be releasing a Spotify playlist uh, that's going to have a bunch of the songs we typically sing here at Living Hope Columbus, and then also a version as well with songs for our children as well. Again, Scripture says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What you put in is going to come out. And so we want to provide another resource for you to make sure that you're consuming the right things and things that are going to point us back to Jesus. And the last thing before I dismiss us here in a moment, as soon as this live stream ends, you're going to see some reflection questions on the screen. Those will be up for about three to five minutes, uh, just three, three or four questions for you and your family, wherever you are, just to process through what we've sang about today, what we heard from the Word of God, just to make sure that we're applying the Scriptures in both capacities as we walk with Jesus this week. I just want to remind you, we love you, we miss you, wish you were here in the room with us today, and if we can serve you in any capacity, email myself, email Pastor Joe, or contact us at office at livinghopecolumbus.com. Please do not hesitate to do that, and we will serve you however you need. We love you. We'll see you soon. Hope to see you online this week.